This is episode four of the MS Dev Show, a podcast for Microsoft developers covering Azure, Windows, cross-platform development tools, and more. I'm Carl Schweitzer with my co-host, Jason Young. This week, we talk with mobile game developer, Jeff Weber, who will be talking about his success on Windows Phone and iPhone with Crashlander. Carl, how's it going? Pretty good. How's it going with you, Jason? Good, good. You sound amazing this week. What's, I- what's going on over there? Well, uh, after you got hooked up with uh, your awesome audio, we decided to uh, make me sound uh, at least as good as you did. So I'm <laughs> I'm here rocking the mic, the new mixer, the the compressor limiter gate, and uh, it's all sounding pretty good now. That is great. This is uh, you sound amazing. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So let's get this started. So um, we have um, uh, we have Jeff Weber on the show today. We have a special guest. And the reason that I wanted to have Jeff on is he had a tweet on Twitter recently where he was talking about um, stats that he released on his blog. And I thought it was really interesting. He put a whole bunch of charts up there, a whole bunch of stats. Uh, So I want to talk about that a little bit later on the show. But I wanted to say welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me. And I I don't have the fancy mic, so you have to bear with my sound. (laughs) That's all right. You sound pretty good little echoey, but you sound pretty good. So we're going to talk to Jeff a little bit later in the show, but he's going to, he's going to stick around. And if he has any comments, he's just going to jump in. Um, we'd love to, love to get your thoughts on, uh, on pretty much anything on here. So the first thing I want to talk about, we are, um, we have a regional conference. So I'm, you know, we're all, all three of us here are in uh, Wisconsin and there's a, there's a regional conference that happens down in Wisconsin Dells. So if you are in the area, um, definitely check out that conference. If you go to thatconference.com, we want you to check that out because on uh, May 15th, tickets are going on sale. And I believe it's for the first week. There's an early bird discount, so you get $25 off of admission. And this is not your typical tech conference. This is a, this is a pretty neat event where uh, you can actually take your families, and it's, it's at a water park where uh, there's, there's sessions for families, there are, um, you know, there are times when, when we get exclusive access to the, to the water park itself. And it's, it's just a great event. I went last year. I didn't go the first year, but I went last year. And this was just a huge, amazing event. You were also there too, Carl. Yep. It was an excellent time. I brought uh, all of my children with me as well as my lovely wife. And yep. we all had a blast. Uh, there's session, sessions in there that uh, my kids were able to see a little bit what I do. Uh, they brought in wild animals well not quite so wild but animals in for them to check out and pet Mm -hmm. and yeah they had just Mm -hmm. as good of a time as we all did Mm -hmm. so there are two speakers that i want you to be aware of this year so uh jeff you're going to be speaking at that conference correct yes i am so i did see you on the speaker list uh if you go out there and you look at the speaker list you see jeff on there and you also see myself uh so what are you going to be talking about jeff Uh, i'm going to be talking about uh game development with with unity okay unity 3d it's the, the uh, game development platform that I've been using probably for the last uh, year and a half okay. or so. So I'm, I think it'll be a good talk. I'm going to try and build a complete game in an hour or so. We'll oh, see how that awesome. goes. So basically, if people like what they hear today on this show, then they should go check out that session? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll be down there speaking about uh, massively parallel Azure systems. So I'm going to be talking about uh, things like uh, Orleans, so which is a, a you know an MSR project for for building these highly parallel systems. It runs the uh, Halo scoring and and uh, game match system. So I think that'll be interesting as well. So once again, just go out to uh, that conference and uh, next Thursday, May fifteenth, uh, you'll be able to get tickets. And I recommend everybody check that out. Uh, so let's jump into news. So one thing that, uh, that I saw this week that I, I thought was kind of a, a hot topic and was really near and dear to my heart was uh, a whole bunch of uh, tweets around. Uh, it started with uh, testing, a big uh, debate on testing, and then it turned into uh, a TDD debate. So there was, uh, we'll put some uh, links in the show notes how this whole thing started, but there was a, there was a post out there where it was a guy, it was, uh, his name was uh, David. It was David, uh, he goes by DHH. And uh, he, put a, he put a post out there where he was talking about this slow, the title was Slow Database Test Fallacy. And he was just talking, if I had to boil it down, I would say his, his point was that the computers are very fast and you should test everything, including your database. Um, so he put that out there. And I, I thought it was uh, interesting information. I retweeted him. 
And then there was a kind of a follow-up post, and it was this one was uh, TDD Straw Man and Rhetoric. Um, that was that was the title of it, and the um, the author of this one was talking about how computers are not instant. Um, you know, test most of the things, and then I, I think he made a really good point at the at the end of this blog post because he was talking about uh, you know for for either of these strategies, you know, for the for the TDD or the non TDD strategy. Um, you know, instead of taking kind of an all or nothing, you know, this is the right way to do things. I thought he made a really good point where he said, um, try, try both approaches, try doing both approaches hundred percent of the time and then figure out, you know, use that as a learning experience to figure out what the trade-offs of each one are. But, uh, there's been, um, this has really sparked, you know, a lot of conversation. There was a, there was a YouTube video and again, we'll put this one in the show notes as well. But it was with uh, Martin Fowler, Ken Beck, and then also DHH was on there. And uh, they had a, a Google Hangout where they were, they were discussing at length whether or not TDD made sense or, or how it should get applied. And they had some really good conversation on it. So I recommend checking that out. And then on uh, Twitter today, I noticed there was a hashtag. It was uh, hashtag YTDD. And uh, there, were, there were a couple interesting tweets out there. And uh, the one that I picked up on was, um, let's see if I have it here. It was um, um, Uncle Bob Martin. It was Rob, Robert C. Martin. He's kind of famous in this space. So he said, um, ITDD, because it's the fastest way I know how to code. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. So just a little bit of background on TDD and, and unit testing. So I have a, uh, I've been doing unit testing for a long time. I'm a huge advocate of unit testing. And I've done a lot of mentoring with people on unit testing. And I just wanted to kind of throw my opinions out there because I have this, uh, um, you know, I have this podcast to kind of get my opinion out there. So, so my, my experience with it has been, um, uh, you know, speaking more about unit testing instead of TDD. Uh, it's just been a, a great way to, you know, to validate that, that systems work. And I, I've always used it as a way to solve complex problems. So if there's problems that I don't know how to solve, so at one point I wrote a, a, a calendar that had all these recurring events and it had like really complex logic that I wasn't quite sure how to implement. It let me tackle a really, really complicated problem. So I just saw it as a, another tool in my tool belt to, to help solve some of those problems. And then uh, the other part of that is um, actually using uh, unit tests to save time. So Jeff, I know you work for, um, uh, you work for Skyline Technologies and, and, and I worked there at one point as well. Right. And, and my experience with testing there was um, my, my first approach with, with a client was, hey, uh, unit tests are really cool. Uh, do you mind if we use them on this project? And the, 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 the customer in that case, you know, what, what do they hear? They're, they hear, hey, you want to spend some extra time uh, working on this other thing that's going to cost me money. So, of course, the answer was no. And then uh, with, with the next customer that I ended up working with, my approach was, Hey, I have, um, you know, I, I understand what your problem is. And I actually didn't even mention unit tests. And at the end of the project, I said, Hey, by the way, I use these tests. These help validate that the, that the software does everything that you said that it should do. And, um, here are the unit tests. You can use them. You can throw them away, whatever. Uh, they actually helped me save time on this particular project. And then the reception of them was totally different. Um, so, you know, just kind of throwing out my opinion in, in my experience, you know, unit tests written with code end up saving you time. They end up, you know, helping validate that, that what you were trying to design actually does what you, you say it did. Obviously helps with uh, things like maintenance if you have to go back in and edit the code. Um, so again, we're, we'll link a lot of these, uh, a lot of the, uh, I think there's, there's a couple different sides on this. We're, we'll link those in the, in the show notes. I think it's really good to read all the, all the sort of opposing forces and it, it lets everybody kind of make up their own mind um, I would say, you know, at least try testing. I think there's this, this sort of anti-TDD moment or uh, movement right now. And I, I actually wonder if part of it is because of people who maybe aren't doing TDD today and they don't want to feel bad about not doing it. Maybe, maybe I'm making a big assumption, but um, I think people are, are trying to look for reasons not to do it because it's, it is difficult to get started in something like this. One of the big benefits that I like when I uh, use TDD is it forces me to write good code. A lot mm -hmm. of the times, you know, you're told you should uh, 
do single responsibility and don't repeat yourself. Mm -hmm. But if sometimes you just out of laziness or sloppiness or you think you're going to refactor again, you don't. When you go to test it, it, it kind of forces you to use those best practices because those when you write good code like that, those small uh, little chunks, they're easier to test as well. So you, right, right. you get logic that's simple, easy to follow, more self-documenting, and the, the tests are going to validate it much easier, and you're going to be able to write code a lot faster as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Robert C. Martin has a really good book on this topic that I recommend everybody check out. And then I actually have, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, um, I wrote a testing paper, and it's pretty old. You can tell it's old because the screenshots in it are from the, uh, they're, they're actually showing uh, Windows XP. But, uh, you know, a lot of the principles that I talk about in that paper still stand true. And so the way that I approached it was in this paper, I didn't want to talk about software to begin with. So what I did was I, I start with the example of an engine. And I, I think I specifically mentioned Ford, but it doesn't really matter what auto company it is. But just just think about the scenario. Imagine imagine the, the company that's building your car. Imagine if they 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 fabricated all the different pieces for your car and they threw them together, and then they, they shipped you the car, right? And, and maybe they started it up before they shipped it to you. And they said, yep, it, it runs, sounds good. And, and maybe even went over to a QA person. I, I still wouldn't feel very comfortable about that car. The reality is the, the way that, you know, what they do in the auto industry is each individual piece that goes into that car, you know, there's different pieces that go into that engine. They get, they get measured, they get tested. Um, you know, a lot of different pieces get tested by themselves. And then even the engine, once that part is completely assembled, it actually gets hooked up to, all, to this, this test harness where it gets hooked up to the like gas and oil and it actually has uh, you know, something that hooks up to the engine physically and it'll rev it up a few times and run it through some cycles to make sure that it's within certain parameters. Now, that, that would probably fall a little bit more under integration test, but the point is that you're, you know, in the real world, we end up testing these individual pieces we end up testing how they work together, um, and and that's how we make sure that we have you know re good reliable products. So whenever we talk about software, uh, I, I think we need to be copying a lot of those same principles. I think we're we're building something that's you know at, at least as complex, maybe you know in a lot of cases it's way more complex with changing requirements. I mean, Ford uh, fortunately at the at the beginning uh, of the production year, I mean, they, they, I can't imagine they make a whole lot of changes, but imagine if the, the cars are rolling down the production line and somebody stepped in and they said, oh, you know what, we're, we're using V6s instead of V8s and, uh, you know, the, the mirrors are different, you know, changing all these things in, in real time. Then you definitely want to make sure that all those individual pieces have been tested because uh, you don't want to test that as a, as a complete car and, and just ship it that way. So that's all I have to say about that <laughs> <laughs> and, and rant. So I am, I'm definitely protesting though, uh, pro testing, not protesting. <laughs> so, uh, so one final question for you on that front though, Carl, do you, uh, do you do a lot of unit testing? Um, I do, but I don't do it throughout. I don't, I don't test everything. I mean, for me, there's some things that yeah. you know, if, if I have to test it, I, I, I'm testing too much. I mean, if I'm, if, yeah. if I'm incrementing a date, I don't have to, test does you know date time dot add days work yeah I, I i especially try to do it when i think i'm doing something clever or complex or if it's really important to what my app does yeah that's a good point there's there's probably a lot of low-hanging fruit and a lot of applications and I, I think that's an okay place to start as well just to start to see immediate benefit there and once you start to see that benefit you'll you'll just keep using it uh, so let's let's go ahead and move on. Uh, enough uh, testing talk. Uh, let's get into some of the fun stuff. So let's start out with mobile. Um, yeah. So the story this week was uh, Joe Belfiore on Reddit. You want to talk about that, Carl? Yeah. Um, really, one one of the things that makes this a little bit more noteworthy is how much the uh, my Windows team and Microsoft has been opening up and and talking more about their products. So Joe Bel Belfiore uh, didn't ask me anything uh, about Windows Phone. Um, mm -hmm. Just a couple of the highlights uh, we'll link uh, to the full details on that is he announced that there's going to be a file manager uh, on the phone. So you'll be able to access the file system, uh, see what's in your documents folder, your pictures folder, navigate that, be able to manipulate the files in there. So, so, why, so why do I want to do that, Carl? Well, 
one that that's been a, a a huge thing because we a lot of people like to manage what's on their phone they've been able to download something and then it just goes in this mysterious box mm-hmm. and this opens that up and if you need to get at it um you can especially if um it's assumed that nap should have access to that and you don't have the right app to do it or if you just want to use your phone for storage and you want to be able to make sure that's uh your files on there are managed well i mean there's a lot of reasons why people would want to um okay. this just it, it was one of the more requested features that was missing so um for a lot of people this is a, a big announcement okay so maybe us geeks will use it for certain things but uh it's probably not going to be used in mass i wouldn't think right Probably not in mass, but there's a lot of people who are listening to the show that are probably cheering about that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, the the next thing was kind of kind of a little bit of a bummer. Uh, somebody asked what's being done about the lack of Google apps on there, and he basically said, "Hey, we don't have any word about this about ourselves. Really, it's up to Google to make these." So we all know that Google hasn't been playing nice from Windows Phone from the start. So a little bit of a a negative note on that one, but. You know, it's time for us to be realistic. Google isn't playing mm-hmm. well with Microsoft. They haven't for a while. Yeah. Yeah, my, my question there, I, I still want to, I'd love to understand their motivation because I, I I guess I have a, a couple theories. I'm wondering if, um, you know, it, it, is it out of, do they do they see it as, as a threat, you know, that they don't want to make these apps? Because they came out pretty strong immediately saying, we're not going to make apps for, for Windows Phone. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on, they're on other platforms. I, I just, I don't get the play there unless they do see it as a threat. So I don't know what your, if you have any thoughts on that, on, on what their motivations are. Cause they, cause they say it's market share, uh, but they can only say that so long, right? Yeah. And, and they're continuing to say that, but I mean, just looking at what they've done, it, it does seem like they are for some reason, you know, wanting to block Microsoft, afraid that, you know, mm-hmm. their support will give them more credibility. Yeah. Well, that, actually, that's kind of ironic, right? They, so they, they publicly say that they're, they're not going on Windows Phone because there's not enough market share. And one thing that would fix the market share issue is Google Apps. Yep. Um, <laughs> so in they, fact, they could fix that problem. In fact, uh, on this week's This Week in Tech, that's the one thing that Leo said. He said, right. if, if they had Google Voice on there, that's one of the few things that would make windows phone a much bigger platform for him personally. Okay. Is there a third party Google voice app? Do you know there was, but I know that Google had uh, pulled a few of them off. I do not know if there are any currently. Okay. Well, there you go, Jeff. There's your next opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I'll write that down. (laughs) Yep. Uh, The next thing that he announced is um, that what we see as windows phone 8.1 isn't finished. It's, it's, he has no additional features to announce. However, he did say that some of the bugs that people are seeing, um, those are going to be fixed when it becomes commercially available. Mm-hmm. And I just saw today that should be happening June 24th is when the official uh, support uh, clock starts for uh, Windows Phone 8.1. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Yep. Yeah, and I know internally, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people externally submitting bugs, but uh, also internally at Microsoft, a lot of the the internal uh, distribution list, you know, everybody is, is submitting, you know, any kind of issues that they run into and they're working with the product groups to get those, those out there. So there's, you know, that's a, that's a huge user base that's able to provide uh, feedback and, and help reproduce some of those issues and get them fixed. But uh, in, in my experience, at least personally, uh, any, all the issues I've run into are, are really just non-issues to me. I, it's not, it's not uh, destroying my life or anything like that. No, I, I've heard a few people complain about some small things like the uh, podcast app losing somebody's spot. Um, oh yeah, that that is a, that happens to me all the time. That yeah. that one that one is frustrating. Yep. That, that's probably that's probably my number one. Yeah. Although, however, uh, one of the other announcements he said um, made was that uh, Cortana.UserVoice.com mm-hmm. um, is has been created for specifically for feedback on Cortana. So if you have any requests or you know things to mention about that that's okay. the spot to give your feedback um it's also been mentioned this week that um high level microsoft uh people have uh meetings often going over the user voice uh yeah topics. Totally. So, so people at microsoft are looking at those and are listening to those and um they're following up on the feedback that's given there 
Yeah, I, I can assure you, most teams are not uh, working in a in a vacuum. I mean, they're looking for for this, and I think user voice is great because it gets voted up, right? So you can just go, you can just sort by what are the what are the highest voted issues, and then just go down through that list. And I think we talked about this on the show before, but if you if you looked at what was on the user voice for Windows Phone before eight one, and you sorted again by by high to low. I think 95% of those things have been knocked out now in uh, in 8.1. So yep. that's great. Yep. Okay. And then uh, Nokia software recovery tool. Yep. I, I mentioned this because um, I went to build when they handed out the uh, Nokia Lumia 920s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was using that as my main daily driver for a while. And also uh, once I got uh, a different Windows phone, I was using that as my main development uh, device. And I just happened to brick it uh, actually right before that conference last year. And I, I sent it into Nokia. They couldn't fix it. They sent it back to me. And it wasn't until they had announced this tool that I was able to bring it back myself. So what this does okay. is you hook, or you install the software, you hook up your phone to it, and it goes out and finds all of, all of the firmware and the right operating system for your phone. And it re-images everything. It's, it's a full wipe. Um, okay. Brings you back to where you need. And excellent. Uh, this was just updated with support for Windows Phone 8.1 and uh, all of the uh, Nokia Black updates as well. So, before, so does this also work with uh, with eight? Yes, it does. So, so conceivably, you could flash back to eight with this if you needed to. Um, I've heard uh, somebody doing that. I haven't done that myself though. Okay. Yeah, because I. Um, I had to go to some some shady uh, places on the internet to 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 actually get this tool before before this was released. Um, this was probably about a year ago. It was with a 920, and I ran into a similar situation. I actually it was updating uh, from my computer, and I I ended up uh, um, losing the connection, and it it completely bricked the phone, like really really bricked it. And uh, I, I tried pretty much everything. I went to AT and T; they weren't any help. And, uh, so I was, I actually found, um, you know, basically like an internal Nokia tool for, for doing the flash. And I was able to bring that thing back to life. So I think this is, this is pretty awesome that this is available to anybody now. This is, this is huge. If you ever, uh, if you ever screw up your phone really, really bad, this will, this will save your life. Yeah. And it's very easy to use as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any, any more on that, Carl? Nope. Okay. Um, Going through the topics here. Next thing is uh, I want to talk about the cloud. I'm trying to talk about uh, one cloud topic or at least one cloud topic every week. So uh, last week, I know we talked about uh, SQL database up in Azure. And I think we talked about some other storage options, table storage, blob storage. This week, I want to talk about Azure websites. Um, I push a lot of people into Azure websites whenever they start talking about hosting web content on Azure. Um, originally, when when Azure was first introduced, everything was web and worker role based, which is really the PaaS option, the platform as a service. But um, I think it was well over a year ago that the Azure website functionality was released. And, and this is at a totally different level. So the, the idea here, instead of, instead of your application needing sort of a cloud wrapper, you're just taking your web application as it is today and running that up in Azure. So, you know, just, just to, to help understand that, if you, if you go into Visual Studio and you say, hey, give me a new ASP.NET MVC application, you can take that application, publish that up to an Azure website, and it will be running. Like, there's, there's really no other steps. I'm not skipping anything. It's make your website, publish it, and it will run. Um, so I think that's pretty neat. It, it doesn't, doesn't just run uh, ASP.NET. Java support was recently added. So if you have a Java-based website, uh, you can run that natively on, on the Azure websites. Um, also, Node.js support, which is pretty cool. So you can upload um, your, your Node.js application and have it run on there. And what, a, what not a lot of people realize is that you can actually run um, Node.js along with ASP.NET MVC, or you can, you basically, you can mix and match a lot of these different technologies. So, um, you know, based on the extension, you can, you can route it to the different, um, um, you know, application handlers essentially. So it's, it's pretty easy to put an MVC application out there. And if you want to do, you know, if there's something, some kind of, you know, chat server or, you know, whatever it may be that's hosted, 
uh, you know, there's a portion of that application that's, that's already written in OGS. There's no need to convert that over to something else. Those things can run side by side, which I think is, uh, is really cool. And it's, it's really minimal work to make that happen. Um, to actually get your website up there, there's, there's some pretty cool options. So whenever you create it and, and you set up your, um, or I should say after you create it and you want to do a deployment, the website itself can actually, you can, you can obviously just FTP up your files, but you can also um, actually have it act as a Git repository so that you can have your local Git repo with all your source files, and then you can just do a Git push into Azure, and it will automatically deploy that application for you. And it'll even do builds and things like that for you. Um, you can also have it point at uh, something like GitHub. So if, you're, if, you're, if your source code is already in GitHub, there's a whole bunch of different repos that it supports automatically. But uh, just point this thing at uh, GitHub. I think it uses OAuth. It goes and it grabs your source code, it builds it, and it actually monitors it too. So on the, um, you know, on the msdevshow.com website, uh, we actually have, uh, you can actually go out and look at all of the source code for our website. And whenever we make a change and we push it into, um, into the, the main branch, uh, we check it into GitHub and pretty much instantly Azure picks that up and it will rebuild the entire site. And I've talked about this before, but our site is actually a static site. So it actually uses Node.js in Azure to build the site, output a whole bunch of static HTML files, and then host them in the site. And we don't, you know, we don't do anything special to, uh, to make that happen. Like I said, the, the GitHub deployment is all built right in. Um, there's even support for something like Dropbox. So you can, you can actually go in there and say, I want to just de deploy from a Dropbox folder. And then you can throw some HTML files in a Dropbox folder. Azure sucks those in and it hosts them for you. And I think that's a pretty neat option. Um, the other nice thing about Azure websites is how, how inexpensive they are. So if you, if you just want to throw something up and you really don't care about what the web address is, you can actually do it for free. Um, there's some limitations on the amount of CPU and bandwidth and things like that that you can use, but you can actually host, you know, a real simple website for free. Uh, what most people are going to do though, is they're going to use the, the shared option. So if you use the shared option, you actually get, believe it or not, high availability. Your, your site is actually hosted on, on multiple, multiple instances and you just, you pay less than 10 bucks a month for this option and you can even associate a domain with it. And I believe even on that tier, I'm not actually, I'm not quite sure. On that tier, if you get the free SSL certificates, but there's uh, there's a ton of stuff that you get for less than ten bucks a month. So if you're using, you know, some other, uh, you know, five or ten dollar a month hoster, I would take a look at this because this the the way that the architecture is set up here with the the high availability, it's worth taking a look at migrating things over. I I finally have all of my sites move over. The other option here is to go up to a standard instance, which will cost you. There's actually a couple. There's like a basic option, and a standard. You could actually run a standard instance for 75 bucks a month, and then you can run 20 websites underneath that. So it scales up real nice. Instead of running a whole bunch of shared sites, you can actually just run one, one, share, one standard instance and put as many websites on there as you want. So that's kind of a neat option for people, too, um, if they're migrating over you know, a whole bunch of websites for, from a different hoster. Um, that's pretty much all I want to say about Azure websites. I don't know if, uh, if Carl or Jeff, if you guys have any experience with those, but they're, it's pretty much dead simple. Yeah. I've used them quite a bit, okay. not for public things, but when I want to test something out, um, mm -hmm. a, a new idea, um, I just started a new WordPress blog for somebody and just to show them how easy it was, I spun it up in, in Azure using the templates that they have, you mm -hmm. know, the WordPress install was already done for me with, with the latest version. And I was able to show them exactly what they needed to do in just a few minutes. So yeah, I, I didn't even mention that. Yeah, you can just go in there and say, hey, give me a WordPress install and it will just it will magically appear. And it even has a MySQL database along with it. It's pretty slick. Yep. And you get uh, the 20 megs free with that as mm -hmm. well. So, I mean, you, you're not going to be hosting a whole lot. But if you if you just have a lot of tech stuff out there, it's super simple way to do it. Yeah, that actually covers a blog with, you know, probably 500 plus posts. That's that's actually more space than what it sounds like. So next up, finally getting to talk to uh, Jeff Weber. I've been I've been just giddy all week. I've I've really wanted to. <laughs> I've I've been really excited to to talk to you, Jeff, because I I saw that 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 post that you put out there. So first of all, one thing that I want to mention let let's give uh, let, let's give Jeff a couple plugs here. So you can find him at farseergames.com. 
And he's also at Skyline Technologies. I think you have a couple blog posts out on the Skyline Technologies blog. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think I wrote uh, maybe a couple quite a while ago. Okay. And then and then I have a blog at my at my site, farscaregames.com. Yeah, yeah, your your site is great. So so here's here's kind of how I ran into this. I'm, first of all, you know, I worked with uh, with Jeff uh, a while back, um, which, which was great. We didn't, I don't think we worked on any, uh, specific projects together, but you know, we worked at the same place and had some, some really good conversations, but, uh, Jeff got into the, uh, the windows phone market, uh, pretty early. And, uh, anyway, fast forward to today, he posted, uh, some, some stats out on his blog. And what I really like about that is a lot of people that are in this space, they seem to, they seem to be really hesitant to post any kind of numbers or mention anything. You know, I, you'll say, Hey, how much is that game making? And they're like, eh, it's, it's, an, you know, I'm doing okay. And that, that's pretty much all you can get out of them. Um, so I, I just, I really like that you posted a whole bunch of detailed numbers cause that really helps people. And I got to imagine that helps, uh, you know, you get some feedback as well. Right. And, and to be clear, and I don't, from the way you just said that, I'm not sure if you're clear. Yeah. <laughs> Those stats that I just released were yep. from the iOS version of right, the right, right. Okay. Yep. And and then I also originally uh, the game, the game that we're talking about is Crash Lander. Yep. And I originally built it for Windows Phone, and it mm-hmm. was on Windows Phone probably a, a couple of years before I finally got it ported to iOS. And I, I've talked about the the Windows numbers before too, but just not. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I did blog about those as well, and I and I kind of, I in my talk at that conference last year, I revealed all my numbers as well. Oh, that's but awesome! I, I, I never blogged um, them in such detail as I did uh, just uh, like a week a week ago or so. Right, right. But yeah, I, so I, yeah, so so walk us through this. So you started a couple of years ago. I know you had a couple of different games. So you just kind of want to walk us through the last last couple of years and. How you got started and how how we got to today? Sure. Um, let's think. Where's a good spot to start? I'll start. Uh, <laughs> I'll start with. Uh, uh, let's see. The Farseer Physics Engine. That's okay. that's a that's a a physics engine that I built. It was built on a based on an old version of Box Two D, which is a very popular two D engine, and that was kind of where I first I started out with XNA. Mm-hmm. And I built a physics engine because I wanted to uh, build a game that uses that mechanic that Crash Lander uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a mechanic that comes from an old game called Ski Stunt Simulator. But so I started that in XNA, and then mm-hmm. I it was right about the time that Silverlight was coming out, and I kind of got into Silverlight. It seemed interesting, and I thought it would let me, you know, build games for the web mm-hmm. using my. Uh, Microsoft development tools background. So I've been a consultant for about 14 years and I've always done Microsoft development. So I thought that would be a good way to get, uh, you know, started with game development, which is something that had been a hobby for a few years and something I wanted to kind of take a little bit further. So I kind of jumped on the Silverlight bandwagon and built a couple of web games that, uh, that called Diver and Diver 2. And they use the same mechanic that Crash Lander uses. Okay. And um, and the phone and mobile was always was just it was getting it was pretty popular then, but it was on a ri- on the rise. And I had always wanted to do something with that. And when Microsoft announced their phone, I thought it was perfect. And they also announced that it would support Silverlight and XNA. Right. And uh, a lot of people thought, uh, or to this day, I think that the original Crash Lander was built in XNA because it seems like something you would build in XNA, but actually it's built in Silverlight because I used okay. the diver engine that I that I made for my web game. The quickest way for me to get uh, something on the mobile on Microsoft's phone was to uh, just use that engine and build it in Silverlight. So there were some performance challenges, but I ended up uh, making it work and I got Crash Lander on the Windows phone uh, just at launch time. So, yeah. So you were, you were there right from, was that from day one then? Yeah, I got it there just in, just in time for the, the, the day one launch. It was, it was right down to the wire. I, it, I worked pretty hard that you know, month or two leading up to that. Okay. And, and I happened to make it. So that was a goal of mine and I was pretty happy to make it. So, okay. So that was, that was crash lander specifically, right? Yes. Okay. And then that, like you said, that that physics engine is shared with some of the some some other applications that you had worked on previously. 
Uh, yes, I, I made that open source just because uh, for okay. no reason other than I just thought some people might find it useful, and that engine kind of took on a life of its own. Okay. It was the only. It was the only. Uh, at the time, there were very few physics engines for the the .NET platform, mm-hmm. and and it kind of got a lot of traction that way. And uh, I think a lot of people still use it, but nowadays it's Box 2D. The the more recent versions of Box 2D are the kind of are everywhere. So okay. I, I don't do anything with the Farseer physics engine anymore. I handed it off to somebody else a long time ago. Okay. <clears throat> Excellent. So, so you were there at launch and then, um, you know, so that was, that was in the store for all. So have you been, you've been keeping it up to date for each version of, of windows phone or did you kind of let that sit? I kind of let it sit after I think 7.8 was the last time I updated it. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a tough decision, but I think it was when the, the eight windows phone eight dev tools came out, they broke some things or it was a bit of, a bit more difficult to port. And I had done some pretty, I had to do jump through some pretty crazy hoops to get my performance where it was. Okay. And when, and I used a couple of third party um, open source uh, graphics uh, tools. Okay. And when, when they put that new de- set of dev tools out, it was going to be quite a bit of work to, to move my, uh, to crap, to move crash lander to that uh, mm-hmm. version. So I, just decided not to do it because I also had, I was already in motion on trying to port the game to uh, iOS and using uh, Unity and Unity lets you use C Sharp. So that, that was nice. But uh, I, I just didn't have the time to do, to keep the Windows phone up to date and, and work on the iOS version of the game. So I just let the Windows phone version sit and it's still sitting waiting for me to, my plan, <laughs> my plan is to port since it's, since the current version is built in Unity, my plan has always been to uh, bring it back to Windows Phone, the new version back to Windows Phone. Okay. In fact, in fact, that was my I, I at the time that I decided to go to iOS. There were no announcements about Windows Phone supporting Unity. Okay. But I I, I made a pretty good bet. I thought that that Windows was, Windows Phone was going to support it eventually. Okay. So I figured I would I would port to iOS while Windows Phone uh, it was working on getting Unity uh, hooked up to Windows Phone, and and I was right, and it, they do support it now. <laughs> right. Now right. I just need to get the time to to bring it back over. Okay. Well, yeah. Sounds like that bet paid off then. So so whenever when when you first had it on Windows Phone was what was your uh, what was your model there for for monetization was it ad supported or was it um, uh, you know did you actually charge for the game when I launched I I charged for it and I put it out as a whatever the lowest price was I don't know was it ninety nine cents or yeah I think it was ninety nine cents and I had a uh, the Windows Phone has that trial API mm-hmm. so I had a, a trial where you could play like five levels. And then it would, you know, put up a um, a message that says if you want to play more, purchase the game, and and that was fine. It it did okay. Help Center is a Microsoft ad platform for their phone, right? And I, I from talking to some other developers of the Windows Phone, I noticed that people were making quite a bit of money off the ads, mm-hmm. quite a bit more money than I was making. So I did eventually. I think after about three or four months. I put out a uh, crash lander free with mm-hmm. ads and that did very well for about two or three months. And I think it did very well because I think Microsoft pub center was still trying to figure some things out and they were giving out, it seemed like they were giving out way more money than <laughs> was, than they should have been. So there was kind of like a gold rush there for a while, but so that, that, that helped. Okay. So do you want to talk any numbers in the beginning? Like whenever it was paid, was it, you know, how much, how much were you making when it was paid? And then what happened when you switched to ads? Um, I don't know if I can remember it exactly without going and digging up my old blog post, how much it was making, Mm -hmm. uh, paid. I I would have to say in the first few months, it probably made a few thousand dollars. Okay. And And then when it went to, when the ad version came out, it made several more thousand dollars in a, in a shorter amount of time. Mm-hmm. There were, there, I think the best, I had one day with the ads where I think I made like 
$900 in a day. And I'm just like, wow, (laughs) that was just bizarre. Yeah, and I think that's what people that. were seeing, and that's what that's the buzz that I heard, and that's why I jumped over there. But I think they that Microsoft uh, shortly after I uh, created the free version, they they kind of reeled things in, mm-hmm. and then and they now perform you know on par or even worse than I think some of the other um, ad networks out there. Okay. So nowadays, I think I might. The, the version that's out there now probably makes a few bucks a day. Off okay. And the paid version probably gets a couple downloads a day if I'm lucky. Okay. So you saw a pretty big drop off from the, from the early days. Yes. Okay. And probably and part I, of that was from, you know, being uh, one of the few games in the store, I assume, right? Yeah. And I think the drop off is just, just because I, I stopped updating it. You know, okay. it, it actually, it actually, you know, carried on fairly way better than I thought it would given that I wasn't updating it anymore, it was still getting for quite a while, you know, thousands of the free version was getting thousands of downloads a day. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, the, the ad network just stopped, you know, making me any money. So I, I gotcha. it, it wasn't like a, a huge windfall, but it was nice. It was a nice steady income for quite a while. Yeah. It helped me pay for things like, you know, subscriptions to like Dropbox and, you know, software for the, uh, like to purchase unity. It right. just helped a lot. It helped me, you know, keep things moving in my, uh, quest to become a independent game developer. Okay. And then, so you, are they, so what is the, the code base today? So you said that, um, it's unity on iOS, but the, so you still have the old code base running on windows phone, but like you said, the plan is to switch that over to unity. I have the old code base is, Silverlight, mm-hmm. and yes, I still have it. I don't like. I couldn't fire it up right now because I don't have the old. I don't have all the dev tools installed. Right, right. So it's pretty. It's just kind of dormant, sitting out on Dropbox. Um, and then when I ported to Unity, it was it wasn't exactly a port. It was more of a, a rewrite because Unity just does things so differently than you know Silverlight. Mm-hmm. There were s- some things that I, I mostly just used the Silverlight version. Some of the code as, as a reference mm-hmm. um, but the, the new version is built entirely from the ground up in unity okay uh, c sharp is this is the the language okay well that's are, pretty neat though yeah are, are you using any other third-party tools uh in there as well maybe anything that to collect metrics or give you a little bit more feedback yeah that that's one of the nice things about uh unity is they have uh what they call their asset store so I don't know how familiar you guys are with Unity. Have you ever played with it or looked into it? I haven't. I, I sounds like I need to go to your session. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they have a what they call their asset store, and Unity is completely compo- component based. So there's a complete it's a completely component based development environment. So it's very easy to uh, create what they call plugins and just kind of different tools. You can completely take control of the editor itself with some of these tools. So the asset store has a lot of developer tools in it. And I use quite a few of them. I'd probably say uh, for the game itself, I use maybe five, six, seven different plugins that I've purchased from the asset store that just help you just help you do things with, you know, without as much work. And then for things like uh stats in that. So when I um, publish to the store, I do have a, a tool called, it's a third-party service called Flurry, and they also have a plugin for Unity. And what that lets me do, it, it, it works a lot like Google Analytics. It lets me log events and stuff so I can, I can see, like, you know, how many times have, has somebody, you know, started each of the levels in my game Mm-hmm. And it's very useful. I used it when I first when I first launched on iOS. I used those statistics because I I could see um, you know how what what levels were being played the most often most often, and it was interesting because I I think there it was like there was like a level seven that was just played way more than anything from seven on. So like eight 
from eight on, it was much lower. There's this big gap from seven to eight. Okay. And I looked at it and tried to figure out what is it? Do people just like this level? And then I thought a little bit more and it's like, no, it's the, the fact, the problem was that the level was very hard to get by. So people were just oh, stuck. replaying yeah. and replaying and replaying. So I went in and looked at the level and something that I thought, you know, it was obvious, it wasn't so obvious for, for newer players. There was a small kind of additional trick to finish that level. Mm. And I went in, I, I ended up fixing it based off the statistics I was seeing. And, and sure enough, after that, I looked at it and it was a much smoother progression through the, the levels. They all had a more, you know, it's a, it's, it's a more expected result when you, when you looked at all the levels together. There were no big gaps. Wow, that's awesome! I yeah, I never thought of uh, measuring the the stats down to that granular of a level, but it sounds like that's critical. I mean, imagine Angry Birds with uh, with a level that nobody could get past, and right. and and not knowing that. Yeah, you get a lot of people that just probably rage rage quit and don't get to see the rest of your game, and right. you know, or give you a bad review. Now, okay. Now with Flurry, are there things that are automatic, out of the box statistics that you get, and how hard is it to wire up, you know, the individual things like you know for each level or anything else that you want to know? Uh, yeah, out of the box, you get things like just by having, just by having the the plugin installed, which you know initializes and makes a call to Flurry. They know uh, how many times the app has been started up, and you know how many sessions sessions were played during a day. Uh, so that's all automatic, and then it's pretty easy. Just just a little bit of code um, to log specific events, like you know how often somebody started a level, how many, how often somebody unlocked a level, things like that. It's it's very few lines of code. It was it probably took me four hours all all told to to get it working. Okay. Now, um, we were talking about iOS. So, do you want to walk us through? So, uh, first of all, how long ago did the iOS version come out? The iOS version came out February of last year. So, about a, a month and two or three, okay. a year and two or three months ago. Okay. So, you want to walk us through kind of what happened there after the initial release? Yeah. Um, so, I released on February 7th. And just prior to that, I had put together a a trailer for my game and I do everything myself. I don't, so far I have not like outsourced anything. There's some things I probably should, but, um, I made the, the trailer my, by myself. You can see it. It's, it's on, if you go to crashlander.com, I think you'll get, or actually farseergames.com and click on crashlander okay. at the top. And I, I believe I have the video out there. If not, uh, just, yeah, I see crash, a couple of, yeah, there's a, yeah, I see a couple of them out there. Okay. So, I put that out there, and I that that if that I think that got some pretty good play, and it some of the websites like Touch Arcade, which is a big iOS uh, games website, saw that. I also emailed a few different sites, you know, basically doing marketing in quotes, um, and a lot of them picked it up and did some quick uh, blog posts on it for me themselves. So that just kind of created a little bit of a buzz, I think. Yeah. 16, six, over 16,000 views as of right now. That's, that's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. That that was pretty nice. And I think that kind of gave me just enough boost. And, um, so that when the game was actually launched, it had some, uh, name recognition and it also, I don't know if it's the trailer and these other sites talking about it, but it also, the biggest thing that happened was Apple actually featured mm-hmm. me in their uh, new games section. And and that pretty much just set off a pretty fun ride <laughs> up, the ch- <laughs> up the charts. Yeah. So it, it, it went up, I think it, it topped out in, as like number 15 in games overall, which is pretty crazy. That's Right. That's a lot of millions and millions of apps. So, and that, I think my best, this is, was as a paid app. And I think my best day uh, while being featured was like $3,800 or something like that. Some crazy amount, but it was, it was quite the ride. Okay. And if you, if you look at that blog post that I put out, you'll see that uh, the amount of money you make is, 
at least in the beginning point for me, it was pretty much tied to being featured. After that first week was gone, um, you drop down to this other featured section called Hot Games, and your revenue takes a direct jump down as well. And then when that when the, the second featuring ends, which is like about two weeks into it, you pretty much just kind of, you still make decent money, you know, more than I could have hoped for, I guess. But compared to what it was making while featured, it really drops down. Wow. I, the, yeah. I, I love your screenshots here. The, some of the numbers on here, the, the downloads went up 20,000%. The, pro- the profit went up 24,000%. So you were making, you know, upwards of $3,000 per day while that thing was featured. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how much yeah. power Apple has with, uh, with featuring an app. Do you, do you know what their criteria are for that? Or is it just sort of random? Uh, I, I don't know their exact, what they how they do it. I think, I think they look for what's getting buzz out on the, uh, in some of the blogs, I'm sure they look at things like Touch Arcade okay. and to see what people are talking about. Yeah. And then they see they get to see what's being submitted to the store. But I don't know exactly um, what how you get featured. I I haven't been able to do it again. But then I haven't I haven't released a, a new game on iOS yet. So I'm hoping you know hope, hopefully I can do this again. But yeah, I, it, it I, seems like a it seems like a huge. Yeah, it seems like a huge gamble, right? You know, you put all this this time into into a game, and because um, you know what I'm seeing here is is after you were featured, um, you know, everything just sort of plummets. You want to talk about that a little bit? What you know, the aftermath? Yeah, it it definitely plummets, and I think I I kind of settled down into a, like a, the long tail, and and it was it was pretty low, and I think part of it was my game. I wouldn't call it, it wasn't really where I wanted it to be when I launched it, but I, I launched it anyway, just because I was ready to launch it. Yeah. I had, I had to just put it out there and it was, it was difficult. I got some bad reviews. So I, I don't, I think that didn't, that didn't help where it settled into the long tail. Mm-hmm. And then it took me a while to correct a lot of the uh, problems that people had with it. Mm-hmm. I created some better tutorials. I created uh, um, different uh, skill levels, and I don't know. I just it even in the long tail, and it, even though it wasn't making the crazy money it was making when it was featured, it was still bringing in a, a good extra income. You know, I wasn't gonna be able to quit my day job with it, but right. it was nice having a, a steady income, and it's, it was more in line with kind of what I was originally, you know, hoping it would do not hoping but what i kind of expected it to do i never expected to be featured and, and make that that twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollars up front i'm so sure you're when happy it, when, it, when if yeah yeah that was <laughs> nice when it fell down into the long tail and was making you know 20 bucks a day 30 bucks a day that's still that's still decent money yeah definitely it says your downloads went down according to their numbers uh, down 100 <laughs> percent. <laughs> so it was you know Probably ninety nine point nine percent. That's that's quite a decrease. But yeah, it looks. It, then I'm seeing here, you know, twenty dollars per day. Um, that's that's still pretty. I mean, that's still pretty decent money. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting charts are the the, the couple of days where I went, uh, the couple of weekends where I went free. Right. And and so that was free with you know that's a, it's a paid game with no in app purchases, no no ads at the time, and I just made it free for the weekend and the downloads if you if you compare the downloads of a free game compared to a paid game you know my my best day i said was like 3800 bucks or whatever it is up mm-hmm. there so that's like you know about what 4000 downloads tops for mm-hmm. and then you look at the free version when i the day i went free a couple times so that especially the second time i went and it had you know almost Almost yeah. three thousand dollars in a day. Three hundred thousand, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's that is insane. I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had ads in my game at that point. Oh, there were no ads in that one, huh? No, that's just the free. Oh. That's just the free version. That's a paid version, making it free for the weekend. And that was with oh. a. Uh, that was being. I was contacted by a company called App Turbo, and they won't actually. They won't actually actually put you in their this promotion if you have ads or in-app purchases because. 
you, you have to pay, you have to pay them if you have that. What, okay. what they did is they contacted me and said, Hey, we like your game. Would you like to make it free for a, a weekend? Mm-hmm. And I looked at, I looked into them and they seemed legit and everything. So I decided to do it just to get more people playing my game. I figured I'd get more buzz and, and I did, I got all those things, but yeah, if I had had, if I had had ads in there, I think I would have <laughs> made a pretty penny, but I also would have probably angered a lot of the people that paid for the game. So I just, I couldn't do it. Okay. So now, you know, comparing platforms and I'm going to, I'm going to take off my, my Microsoft hat for a moment. Um, sure. So I, I had a recent conversation with somebody and, and they, you know, they, they came up to me and they said, okay, just be honest with me. Like what, what platform, if you, if you just had to build an application in your free time, what platform would you build for? And my response to that, I said, I said, honestly, it would be Windows Phone. And I'll, I'll tell you why. And, and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm completely crazy or not. So I, I said that I'd build for Windows Phone. The, the reason being that, you know, if I were to build, uh, you know, a game like this, you know, maybe at best, if I'm lucky, you know, after my kids go to bed and everything, I add up all that time. Maybe I have 10 hours a week, uh, 10 hours a week to work on something. I don't have any money for promotion or anything like that. So I'm going to put an app out there. And, and like you mentioned, there's a million games out there on iOS. So, so I think, um, you know, not definitely not putting down your game. It's a, it's an awesome game. And I think that's why it was featured. Um, but you know, ignoring that for a moment, uh, you know, it's kind of a lottery, uh, on, on iOS, at least that's kind of the way I see it just because it's such a big market. And on windows phone, I think there's, there's such a, there's an opportunity right now. You know, the, the pie is definitely a lot smaller, but, uh, you know, you can, you can, instead of a tiny little crumb, you know, maybe you can get some, some bigger pieces of it. So I, I was just being honest with her whenever I was mentioning that to her. So is there, is there any truth in that? I mean, what, um, you know, kind of comparing the platforms, what, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that, and and I actually iOS right now is, you know, there was a gold rush for iOS, and mm-hmm. I think I was on the very very. <laughs> I think I missed it. Yeah. And even though my app did well there, I and I got lucky. I don't think, on average, that would happen. And I do think there's just so much competition out there, and a lot of the there's a lot of you know the Rovios out there, and. Game Loft, a lot of people that just make these, this have a team of people to make these games and you have to compete mm-hmm. with them. It, it, is, it, it is difficult. And I, I am anxious to take Crashlander back to Windows Phone. I had a lot of uh, uh, great uh, people that just gave me a lot of great feedback on Crashlander and a lot of, um, I think I probably, I think a lot of people were probably disappointed that I stopped updating it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I am very anxious to get it back there. And I do think there's a, a good chance of, you know, making some decent money simply because, like you say, there, there isn't as much competition. Mm-hmm. And I do already have like a small, I'm a, a small name for myself, I guess, on that yep. platform. So I, I am anxious to get it back there. But I, I really think in this, in this day and age, at least for a game developer, I don't look at it as having, having to do one or the other, especially if you're using unity because mm-hmm. unity it really does they got something magical in the way that that they support all these different platforms and it's still a little difficult because i do only get like you say about 10 hours a day but a week. Uh, my, my yeah sorry <laughs> 10 hours a day would be great. Hours, I, I could do some great stuff with 10 hours a day yeah that's true um <laughs> but th- my plan is is to to build some Going forward, anyway, my plan is well. My immediate plan is to do my talk for that conference, but and build my game for that. But after that, with Crash Lander, I would I plan to port that to Windows Phone mm-hmm. and to Android because it's just not that that difficult to do having it built in Unity. And then I'm going to start working on probably probably some smaller games, things that uh, I can finish in a shorter time frame. It took me a year to build the a year of spare time to build the unity version of crash lander. And I just, it's just a, it's a long time. So I want to try and build some more just kind of bite-sized games, kind of like the, the, the flappy bird craze that, that went through right. the uh, <laughs> AF store that kind of made me, you know, I'm not going to build a flappy bird clone, but it makes me think that, you know, these small, you know, single game mechanic type games can do pretty well on mobile and they right. fit mobile pretty well. So I'm going to, build a bunch of those or try to build a bunch of those a little quicker than I built Crashlander and using Unity, just push it out to every platform I can. 
Okay. And I think and I think that's I think that's a, a pretty good option right now as long as uh, Unity stays the way it is and nobody buys them and tries to uh, make them only support one platform. So. Yeah, no, that's a great way to hedge your bets. That's 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 great. And I, it sounds like there's not a lot of compromise there. So I don't even know if it's really hedging your bets. It's you know, right. you're able to bet on every platform. That's that's great. Yep, and, and it's it, I think it's the the perfect way to go, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And then on this blog post, you mentioned going indie, um, and I know you talked about some of these smaller games. So uh, you know, do you want? Can you elaborate on that anymore? Is there anything you want to talk about there? Uh, no, I just, it's always been a dream of mine. I mean, I, I work for Skyline, obviously Skyline Technologies is my day job. Great company, love working for them, but you know, who doesn't want to do their, their dream job? And for me, right. that, that would be independent game development and having that freedom to just do that development from any, from any place. Okay. Um, and I, it's a goal, but it's not something I, I'm not going to like kill myself to, to hit that, to hit that goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to like uh, not see my family in order <laughs> to hit this goal. So I, I only develop when when kids are in kids are in bed. Either uh, usually in the morning is my favorite time to develop. But I also develop uh, after they go to bed. And you know, someday maybe I'll have my uh, Flappy Bird moment and make fifty thousand dollars a day off ads or something like that. But but you never know. And I. My backup plan is if I don't ever, if I never make enough to go independent, then, you know, maybe the next best thing would be to make enough to, to retire early or something. So I just, I bank most of the money I make and just, uh, you know, save it up in case, you know, I end up someday with enough where I can take a year off work and see if I can, you know, turn this into a full-time gig. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other wisdom or advice that you could give anybody else who's been looking into making a game or other application for, I mean, not just iOS or Windows Phone and just any kind of mobile device, I, lessons you've learned? I, well, one, obviously, I would say go pick up the free version of Unity and learn it. It's very, it's very fun, very easy to pick up. Um, you can do things... You can do a lot of interesting things with very little work. Um, and then the next thing I would say, and I've seen this a lot, being a hobbyist developer, and I've I've been, um, I've kind of done it myself. But a lot of people that try to get into game development always bite off more than they can chew. They want to build. They have this idea in their head of what they want to build, and it's just you know it, it seems doable in their head, but it's a, it ends up being a pretty massive undertaking. And I would say start start small. Just build some very small bite sized games, or even just samples prototype type prototype style games and just slowly work up to the bigger games and mm-hmm. and and make sure you you want to make sure you finish some things it's very easy to start a bunch of games and it's very difficult to to finish that last 20%. I think that's true of any project and I think right. we're all developers we know that but if you when you're doing it when you have no you know client like that's pushing you to finish it and it's just you it's very easy to get you know eighty percent done, and then you, you got this other game idea that you just really want to do. So you just like drop the one that's almost done, and and you start the other, thinking you'll come back, and then you keep doing that, and you end up with nothing done. So I think it's start small and finish what you started a few times. Okay, so that's, that's about it. Okay, anything you want to plug? So I know uh, you're on Twitter at Jeff Weber. Um, yes. They can also find you at Farseer Games. Um, any yes. other locations you want to plug? Yes. If you have an iPhone, do a search for Crash Lander with a K and either buy the game or download the free version. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them make me money. So, um, And let me know if you like the game. I mean, I like to make money, but I also like to know if people like the game or not. It's a pretty difficult game, so it may not be your thing, but if you do like it, I, I'm always welcome. Uh, yeah, I don't I welcome feedback. I, yeah, I th- I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm not that great at it, so I don't right. I don't really have any good feedback. But I I think it's a blast. So I I think everybody should download it. So I agree. yep, definitely. Uh, so thank you, Jeff. Uh, so up You're next. Welcome. Yep. Uh, so up next, Kara, uh, uh, what do you have for the app of the week? Uh, the app of the week this week is uh, something that Microsoft published. Uh, reading list it's was available on windows 8 
And what it is is it uses from Internet Explorer, it uses the share feature, and you go to a site, and if you want to read it later, you can hit the share. Uh, you can save it to the, the reading list. You give it a category. And then later on, uh, when you have time, um, you can access it and read it at your own leisure. What's nice about this is it um, it's linked with the Windows version. So if you save something on your phone, you can when you're later at your computer, you can um, see that link that you had saved. Um, this happens to me all the time. You know, I'm, I'm doing some quick browsing or I see something on Twitter. I want to save it for later. Um, this is a handy little app to be able to do that. And uh, it's free on the store. Okay, that's pretty neat. I'll have to check that out and we'll put that in the uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yep. Um, so uh, if, if you have uh, feedback for the show, we definitely want to get it. Uh, just like uh, Jeff mentioned, feedback is definitely critical to to making sure that uh, the people playing the games or listen to the podcast are are getting what they want out of it. And, you know, we're just on episode four right now. So if you have any feedback, send that over to feedback at msdevshow.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at msdevshow, and you can also go to our website, uh, msdevshow.com. Uh, I'm Jason Young. You can find me uh, at ytechie.com. On Twitter, it's y- at ytechie, Y-T-E-C-H-I-E. Um, and then make sure that you also uh, check out, like I said, Jeff uh, at Jeff Weber. That's, uh, uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter and check out Crashlander. And Carl, your information? Yes, uh, I run WPDevGuy.com. Um, usually have something new out there once every other week or so. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. <laughs>